Okay, greetings, my friends, and welcome back to Apple Naka Radio. My next guest is Michael Jason Sherman. He is the author of The Zen of Solo Travel. He is also the innovator of an intriguing approach to coaching and self-improvement. Inspired by the great American author Jack Kerouac, of whom I am also a big fan, Sherman helps clients devise solo road trips that take them far from home and closer to themselves. Sherman's writing and work is about rediscovering the mystery of this universe and giving us a chance to get lost so that we can find ourselves again. And so, with no further ado, here is Michael Jason Sherman. Thank you very much, my friends, and I sincerely hope that you're all doing well. Hey, I'll have a picture of you. There you there go. We got it. There we go. Good to meet you, my friend. Look at these beautiful yeah. pictures of the pyramids in the background. And- like, yeah, you, you're the first person. I, I set this up. You're going to be the first person with this background, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I but love is it. That a vir- is that a virtual background? No, it's real. That's my wall. Oh, okay, good. It looks, it, yeah, I was going to say it. It looks real. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is real. <laughs> I say. How are you nice doing, man? You. This, is, this is my first public conversation about Kerouac, not just about my psychotherapy work, but about like how important Kerouac is to what I'm building, what I'm writing about and all that. So this is extremely cool to me. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. It's actually your... Your subject matter just it works perfectly for my channel because I know you um actually are, are you good with just starting this or yeah good. I'm I'm I'm, no, I'm here we're good I I I know I'm from New York I know how to talk I'm good Okay cool oh, so sometimes people like to chit chat a little bit and then I'll do a countdown and start like the actual interview I I am open to whatever uh I'm I'm good to go Okay. So, so to the, to the viewers, then what I wanted to say was the way that Michael found me was through my Jack Kerouac video. And um, it's just funny because my channel is kind of a weird mixture of literature and like spirituality, including some really far out spirituality. And so your, um, your book just works perfectly for this man, but that's great. what were you going to say? That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so how about let's start with the, um, your story of how this book came about, which, it's not just a book. It's it's like your work, but um, how this all initiated. Sure. So I guess what I'll do is I'll, since we're going on Kerouac, I'll kind of just go a little bit backstory and then kind of uh, insert it into my work and into the book that I came out with and the book that I'm writing. Real summarize. All right. So um, when I was uh, a teenager, I had a very traumatizing childhood, and my answer was movement. My, you know, to the trauma uh, started with a bicycle, and then led to, you know, I lived in New York City, and I was, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, biking over uh, the Marine Park Bridge in Brooklyn, and just, you know, fifteen-year-old kid staring at the beach, and because I needed to. And then that led to a lot more movement, bike tours of Maine, uh, a bike tour of England with groups. And then by myself, you know, traveling around Europe as an 18 year old and uh, then living in England as a 21 year old and living in Israel as a 26 year old and living in Seattle from New York. All these just this is just movement. It was just total movement in my 30s. um, I was married. I'm no longer married, but I was facing a very powerful dilemma that a lot of men, a lot of all of us go through in terms of the cusp of 
parenthood? Do I, do I really want to be a parent or not? Um, is that going to destroy my marriage, you know, of two people, you know, committed, but really having possibly different timing about, you know, that, that journey. So what happened then, and I had been studying Kerouac for years as a sort of a, um, an outlet, like a, 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 a metaphor or a, uh, you know, I was felt like I was a student of Kerouac. I felt like I was really finding meaning from the road, probably more meaning from the road than I was finding from daily life. And the, the kind of the quality of his writing and just what he was about. And then all the other kind of authors that dovetail off Kerouac, you know, went into a Hunter S. Thompson thing for a while, you know, all of those sort of poetic truth telling, but authors about the road and authors about enlightenment and, and seeking and, you know, seeking poetry and experiencing that. So I was both sort of providing myself my own psychotherapy from the road and then getting this powerful validation from Kerouac and from other writing and other film. So in my thirties, when I was facing this very big crossroads of like, yo, if, if I need to find a way to say yes to parenthood or this marriage is done. And uh, that's really what I was faced with. And I was also dealing with the, uh, the presence of my late father. At that point, he had, he had taken his life after years and years of mental illness. And so I ha- was sitting with that in, in, inside in a very, very deep and troubling way. Right, so at that great. point, what I decided to do was I'm going to use travel I'm going to go away and and figure myself out and I'm going to do it quickly. So what I did was take a journey by myself to Japan for 10 days as this personal man trip to sort of say, Japan's going to teach me, you know, I'm going to find a way to enlighten. Uh, I'm, I've done Aikido martial arts for years. So it felt like a homecoming. Mm-hmm. It felt like the farthest place in the world that I could go to from, from you know, living as this like, professional Jewish man in New York with (laughs) all those traditions that we're sort of buying into. I left it all behind. I had this extraordinary experience, highs and lows, and found myself immersed in Japan, seeing uh, two baseball games at the Tokyo, going to multiple Buddhist temples in a natural hot springs, just all these karaoke, everything I just got, got in. And it helped me to sort of, say yes to all of it, to say yes to parenthood, to say yes to what would come of it, to say yes to uh, being okay if it wasn't going to work out, which ultimately the marriage broke, but now we have two children and we moved together to uh, from New York to, uh, it was far more complicated than saying to, I live in uh, California, in Arcata, California. So that trip just let everything seem possible. It just opened my mind and let everything seem possible. Um, and then I, I, I wrote it. <laughs> this is the book, The Zen of Solo Travel, A Journey from Anxiety to Enlightenment. And I basically tried to uh, let myself be influenced by Kerouac in his voice, in his movement, a, a couple of other authors that I kind of threw in there and sort of found in my own experience in Japan, the qualities of the hero's journey playing out. All these initiations, the, the, the gatekeeper, the, you know, the right in the beginning of like, 
you know, the guardian at the gate of the new dimension that was there, you know, once I was changing money uh, or even more so really when I carrying all my stuff in the middle of the night, uh, way too much stuff than I needed. And the cab drivers didn't, couldn't figure out the address. They're all like arguing with each other. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? And I'm like sitting there with like way too much stuff, realizing that the arguments of these lost cab drivers who couldn't get me to my hotel for the night was going to leave me locked out because the hotels had curfew. So I was facing homelessness in the first night after this 17 hour flight. And I'm like, my God, that was my gatekeeper. That was like, you know, none shall pass. You have to break through this test. Right. So all of those things, sort of the, the Joseph Campbell, you know, monomyth structure seemed to follow this 10 day trip and led to this personal awakening. And then Kerouac was this sort of guardian angel of, you know, this, this mentor author that helped me to find the voice and put it into that book. That led to me teaching my coaching clients to start designing personal solo journeys. This is back in like 2011, 2012, where out of the, the book writing and the Campbell structure and my experience professionally giving psychotherapeutic coaching, where one by one, I, I, I guided each of the clients to do what they could to visualize leaving everything behind leave all the relationships psychologically, try to leave all the emotional patterns psychologically, plan a, a intentional journey where you're going to go somewhere where you either have some very important thing that you need to get done away from home psychologically, or where you're going into a state of wandering, where you're really detaching from everything and just letting the road be your, your, your guide and healer, as it were. And then one by one, all of my clients really to this day, I've been doing this for like 11, 12 years of all of the coaching clients would find their way as this sort of semi-annual initiation to go places by themselves. And what ended up happening was this incredible burst of release for each one that they, they, we would have these incredible journeys. The, fir the first one who really bought in was this woman who still does the work with me. And um, she had just come to the decision, yes, I do need to leave my husband, which was a hard enough decision, but she didn't really have enough connection to her soul and what she's about. So through the therapy, we helped her to unlock this deep, deep connection uh, of an interest in death and dying. It was just her thing. She always had it. Nobody appreciated her about it. Nobody supported her about that. And it came out through the therapy. So she came up with this question and is this guiding question. How can I, let me see if I can remember how, how can I be a dark fire of wisdom and bury people naturally? It was like this wild question. And that question then led to a trip that she planned with me alone. She drove from uh, suburban New York all the way upstate near to the border of Canada. She found a uh, bed and breakfast where the Dalai Lama happened to stay. And the next morning she woke up and spent the day at an organic cemetery, a cemetery that focuses on making sure that the bodies are buried naturally with no chemicals and, you know, no, you know, awful decomposition of the body, you know, like organic food, this is organic soil. And there's a whole movement about that. She went and found this place. She was 
sitting, meditating by herself in the cemetery. She stepped inside coffins and just kind of meditated and allowed herself to go into this transcendental state. She found her way inside. She asked someone to allow her to, to the, the, you know, one of the workers there to step inside a grave and just be in the presence of death. Came back, I, when she came back to the session, I mean, I thought it was like lightning was coming out of, of her ears. I've never seen a client like that. She felt like she had claimed herself. She felt connected to her soul. She just had this whole movement move through her because of that experience. A couple months later, she starts a radio show called Dying to Bloom as an advocate for organic bur- burials. Wow. A couple of years later, she opened a boutique called Dying to Bloom filled with organic coffins made of gorgeous trees, just a store in suburban New York, Nyack, New York, all for, for people to immerse themselves in death and dying in an organic, healing, clean, spiritual way. And all of that was like geared up and ready for her, but it wasn't expressing itself in her life or in her former marriage. The trip was the catalyst. So it was like all of that became a kind of a blueprint to send client after client after client after client for years to sort of follow the wandering of Kerouac into this state of mind that the road brings that he writes about all the time. And so I've been doing that, teaching uh, uh, online retreats, uh, to, and uh, I'm doing so again in August to give people the formula to create a sacred solo. And now I'm writing another book called Healing Power of the Road, where I'm not only showing in my biography how solo taking solo journeys was a way of uh, responding to trauma and taking psychotherapy into my own hands, but I actually create this fictional character of Kerouac, imagining him not as a drunk, you know, not, you know, like what if he was resurrected? What if he came back? What if he is like this sort of American Christ figure, this sort of uh, embodiment of the road, embodiment of sympathy, embodiment of healing and and the moment and the aliveness of the moment? And so I throw him in there to make it, you know, more of a biographical novel than, you know, you know, it's it's a lot of biography, but it's like a magical realist biography. And we basically follow Kerouac on this journey. Me and Kerouac meet up in San Francisco in this like fictionalized hitchhiking. And we put him in the car and I go straight true north to where I live now and have this sort of, uh, you know, psychological experience of the mind and reality mixed together through the road, just driving through the night me connecting with Kerouac in this fictional conversation and me going through my own personal awakening through the ocean, through the road, through all these things, experiences I had, but just letting Kerouac be this like guiding sort of grand psychotherapist to awaken to the empathy that the road brings. So that's like all of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is so cool. You know, Thank you. this is something I've actually thought about a lot because Kerouac, he was really like, um, part of a lineage because you can go all the way back to like Walt Whitman, like America has this artistic and spiritual foundation of traveling author or traveling artists, creative people. It was always like part of the American psyche. And it, it seems like it kind of, the last person I can think of would be Hunter S Thompson, who, who kind of was the last person, the last notable person in that lineage. And then 
it's really kind of weird because it seems like it just died, which I, I don't understand because it's such a, a right. great American tradition. But right. I don't know of anybody today that is like carrying that mantle on that anybody, <laughs> you know, I think we're all trying to do our good. best. I'm, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm finding my own um, a lot of hurt has brought me to a lot of learning. And and that learning is brought me to a place where I can allow myself to say it's not about, oh, I'm it, but it's about the same thing you're seeing that, you know, where did that go? Where did it all go? And so now having one book out and having, you know, um, taught a lot of people this, you know, I've taught hundreds of people to take trip all over the world, you know, so I'm going, what, can, what else can we do? You know, what else can we do? So to sort of embrace Kerouac as this sort of guiding light of the whole thing and, and, and to, to try to inspire not just like young people, which is great because there's a lot of young people out there. I live in California. People are all like, you know, I went, I went off for six months. I came back, you know, I'm there, you know, that a lot of that is still happening. But for me, it's more about like, the, the, the middle-aged, middle-class mom or dad who's frustrated with their life. And I'm trying to say America is out there. Even though there's a lot of stuff going on in our world, you know, politically, socially, that we're having so much struggle, the land is out there. The roads are there. And, and, and if you could allow yourself to see the road as medicine, and, and to appreciate the state of leaving, just letting people embrace leaving on a psychological level and on a physical level. And then to see we have all of these um, uh, leaders or spirits, Kerouac, Thompson, Walt Whitman, it, this lineage that obviously you and I are, are have immersed ourselves into whatever degree. I think it's a, a great time for people to embrace that lineage. I can't tell you how many people I say who I know travel all the time out here. And I go, have you heard of, you know, you know about Jack Kerouac and they're like, uh, and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Jack died, man. We got to keep, keep educating people. I, I, I agree. So I, I, you know, I'm the book I'm writing. It's called healing power of the road, taking psychotherapy into my own hands it's taking a while to write and working on it for like three and a half years it can take wow. a little while, but I really see it as a book and then a film. And, and, you know, like my whole life is just focused on slowly, slowly building it up to that with the intention of reaching regular people who are suffering, mm -hmm. just regular people who are suffering. There, there's a scene in the book, the new one where um and this happened so this you know most of the book is true but they fictionalize it just a little bit so i uh my my children had relocated to california before me and there was a lot going on i don't need to get into it but you can imagine your father but any father is you know that's a very difficult thing to deal with okay so i was wandering a lot and I did a solo from up from where I was living in New York down to the Jersey Shore, be by myself, clear my head, and let myself reconnect to who I am. And uh, I snuck into this hotel. <laughs> turned into it turned into an all gay and lesbian hotel. <laughs> I'm sitting there 
like, okay, you know, and I wind up here, you know, one of those great moments. And I write about that in the book. So I come out of that, you know, like with this kind of strange awareness and happiness and acceptance and joyfulness. So now from there, I'm, I'm walking on the boardwalk and I'm filled with energy and everybody's half naked. It's a hot summer day in New York. I'm like, wow, this is wild, all this stuff. Who knows, you know, who knows what's going to happen? And I said, I need something to do. So I, on the boardwalk, there's a mini golf place. So I just wander into the mini golf place and I'm like, I just, whatever, I love golf and I'll just waste some time. In front of me, there was a dad with his daughter. The daughter maybe was seven or eight. And the daughter had some kind of accident. I don't know what it was. She, she had ice on her face. She was bleeding by her lip. And it, and the father was just berating her. The father was like attacking her verbally. It was horrible. I was like, what could have happened? I'm like, you know, did she hit the ball wrong? Is this guy like some kind of golf, you know, perfectionist? Like what's going on here? I ignored it, kept golfing, but my mood went down, obviously. Okay. Finish golf, go back into the water, come back to the boardwalk, come back to the boardwalk. And I see the father, this is like a half an hour later, is still yelling at the daughter. Holy the daughter sitting there in public, in public, with 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 ice on her bloody lip, and her father is criticizing her adamantly in public on the boardwalk. And so obviously it's now been for half an hour. And so I go from this high to this terrible low. And in the book, I talk about how, wow, so that girl is gonna wind up traumatized. She's gonna wind up, you know, meeting the wrong boys. Or girls or whatever she finds out. She's gonna be uh have emotional issues with herself. Right. She's gonna seek help. And a lot of what I'm writing about is a lot of sort of how therapy is. There's many, many good therapists out there, but there's also it's like online dating. <laughs> and, right. and and you you never know what you're gonna get. And there's a lot of problems with the one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy that I think is going on right now. I, I think yeah. there's a lot of good people, but systematically, you know, like if I wanted to get therapy out here, I'd be waiting for months and months and who knows what kind of therapist I could get just because of the system. Right. Yeah. Without going well, detail, just let me say, I can vouch for that, man. So that, that's right. as much as I'll say about it, but yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I feel as somebody who is a caregiver professionally, I fear very, very much like I, I need to talk about this. So this vision of the, the girl I'm sitting there seeing, she's going to get the wrong care for the rest of her life. And I'm watching like the moment in time. Man, that's tragic. Man. Of her traumatization. So that became this sort of um, fuel, you know, like I got to do my share. And I kept walking on the boardwalk and I started saying like, we just got to get the people who are traumatized to learn that they could take psychotherapy into their own hands. And I'm not saying that the road gives you everything, but I am definitely saying that the road and leaving will trigger states of empathy, awakening, calmness, soothing, and let you feel your soul, let you feel alive. And then there's this whole lineage of people who are so about poetry and joy and expression and beatitude, the whole just real uh, breaking away from the expectations of life and, and loving their brother and understanding their brothers and sisters that's out there, but it's like a whole different reality that we have to cultivate. 
And so that moment with that little girl was an awakening moment of like, I need to do this. You know, I need to to somehow find the way to get this message across big. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, man. You know, it reminds me there was this um, Kerouac once said he was talking about science fiction. I, I can't remember at all. I did not know that. This is interesting. Yeah, it, he just a little a little like statement that he made where he the implication. I'm not even going to try to paraphrase it because it's been so long. But the spirit of it was he felt that science fiction was kind of like, um, which is actually interesting because Dr. Sachs started getting into magic realism was going towards fantasy. But anyway, he yeah. made this comment about how it was like. Um, you you when you stop believing in the magic and the energy of life is when you start retreating into fantasy and right. i i don't want to like get into that statement so much but the reason why i bring that up is because i feel like living in this in this time where that lineage of the Kerouac Whitman author is dead and outside of places like california i've lived on the west coast where people do still just go travel which is awesome outside of that there's a lot of people just, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's almost like people feel like there's something morally wrong with um, looking at life as a grand adventure and, and just a, a place of excitement and, and uh, wonder and, and something to just, just fucking go on the road, man. Just like, go look at this beautiful, amazing world. Like somehow that has been lost. And um, I just, I love, I love the work that you do, man. I think that's really, really cool stuff. I, I, I appreciate I that. I appreciate that. Um, what you're saying is true. It's really sad. Uh, I think that, and we, I think we've seen through the last three years of going through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, that when the systems of the world get shaken, it reveals how anxiety producing the systems of the world are. That's That's a really interesting point, man. That's really interesting. And that they're moving towards more instability. Mm-hmm. And that I people want to think about what would it be like if I am not necessarily off the grid, but outside the corporate expectation or outside the sort of way marriage creates a sort of societal expectation for people. Uh or outside of the expectations of what we're supposed to feel like. I think social media reveals that constantly. You could read between the lines of what's being shown with everybody's just on and sort of like, I took a, you know, I went to the bathroom today. Hey, great. I posted. (laughs) Right. It's, it's like all of this anxiety that's like spilling out into this, like, rolling uh constant scrolling of anxiety with and these the the structures of authority are not allowing for the natural state of human expression people people are deep they're deep and the world doesn't allow for that now what's interesting from that perspective is how the program that i developed revealed that and scared people (laughs) meaning that the whole aspect of saying you're going to leave everything behind and take a trip for a while on the simplest level, you're doing that all the time. You get in the car, you go on the highway, boom, off you go. But to consciously think that I'm intentionally doing something for myself to claim myself, it it is sort of like a horrifying, unfortunate, I don't say horrifying. It's an awakening moment of their depth and that they, they have depth. And what's amazing is that the program revealed it. Hmm. Uh, and here, okay, here's one example. To, in other words, that 
when you go on a journey and the way that I'm asking people to go on a journey, it's like leave, but take your whole energy with you, whatever you got. Okay. Like don't make exceptions for yourself. If you are, you know, ADHD, bring your ADHD with you. Be totally accepting of everything that you have emotionally and every emotion that you have, because you're bringing that with you on the road and let the road sort of unfurl it and let it roll itself out into whatever it's meant to be. That's terrifying for a lot of people. Okay. So this one client, she had gotten divorced a few years before starting counseling. So she's starting counseling in that like post-divorce, who am I now? I've been so sort of associated with this other person. Hmm. What do I do with myself? Who I am? So I said, just do the journey and we'll do something easy. So she was in suburban New York. And I said, what do you love? She's like, art. I said, let's go on a journey, leave everything behind and go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Greek sculpture, Roman stuff, Middle Ages, you know, uh, romantic period paintings, get lost in New York, the, the soaring ceilings of it, Central Park, just go get lost. Okay. I have to go by myself. Yeah. Solo, <laughs> solo travels by yourself. Okay. <laughs> She finally gets around to planning it, gets in the car, and her passenger seat front tire has a flat. Mm-hmm. So the journey then got derailed, and her journey was at the tire place. And she had a great conversation with the guy at the tire place. And she came back to therapy, and I was like, okay, great. That was good. Let's do it again. She doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to ah did once try to get get to the museum she does it again and gets in her car about two months later and there's a flat tire in the left side and the on the driver's side of the car can't go couldn't go it was like stunning like i, I could roll off like 20 examples of how the inner world of the client revealed itself in an in an outer world situation that's weird Another client, she, again, she, this client was a woman in her forties, not like kind of knowing she needed to get divorced. So marriage and divorce is a big kind of, you know, that, that was like the threshold that I sort of like, let the road kind of help you to kind of figure out where you go on that threshold. So this woman was getting close to saying yes to divorce. Didn't know if she's going to do it or not, but it was getting close. So she goes her thing took her her journey took her to new york city to stay overnight she's greek by uh her heritage so she stayed at a hotel where she knew there was going to be this wonderful greek restaurant right next door treat herself to that okay and she took a bus for whatever reason again it's 40 minutes with no traffic to go from from rockland county new york to manhattan freaking out which bus do I take? You know, the whole gatekeeper of this is a different dimension for this person. What side of the street is the bus? Am I going to be okay? All these things happening. Okay. She gets there. She gets to the hotel. She's fine. She checks in. She goes to a Greek restaurant at night. I'm all right. I'm safe. I'm going to be okay. The next day, she's wandering around different places in New York, talking to different people, new energies, all that. She meets a couple from out of town that... um we're just great conversation. And they go, um, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. Why don't you join us? And she goes, yeah. You know, like, am I, what am I doing? Do I do this? Is this in my realm of the kind of things I'm used to doing? So she says, yes. And she says, when do we meet for dinner? And they said, midnight. 
because that's what people do in New York uh, is go out to eat really late or they go out to the mm-hmm. club really late. So she's like, okay, <laughs> like flipping out about it. Right. Goes back to her hotel, chills out, goes to the restaurant at like 1145 at night. And who comes out of the restaurant door? This is 2012, 13. Who comes out of the restaurant? But Michelle Obama is getting escorted from the restaurant to her limousine. And she was right there in the moment to see Michelle Obama. Weird. Total, like, I am woman. I am strong. (laughs) You know, I was meant to be here. I needed this moment. Came back, processed all it with, with me. And then gently started the divorce process or the individuating process between her and her husband and her Man, kids. That, is, that moment set it off for her. That, that is wild. And that's, you know, when you, um, when you talk about the people going on these trips, it, it, a lot of it is meeting people. And it's just, it's so interesting because just like last week, I was talking to a female friend of mine who's very frustrated with the dating apps and, and just, it's not good, not meaning anybody good, et cetera, et cetera. And we actually had this conversation because it's so weird because it's like, dude, when we were younger, which wasn't that long ago, you would just always go out and just met people. You just met people like actual human beings and you can't put that magic in an app profile. Like you can't you can't quantify those things and you can't put them in a way that you blast out into social media. You just meet somebody and you catch them when they smile at a certain moment or they say something and boom, that's when you're off on to love, man, or just a relationship. And uh, and that just doesn't happen as much anymore because people aren't getting out and getting people out. People aren't world. talking anymore, Jeff. People aren't listening. Right. People aren't listening everywhere. It's the worst epidemic of all the things that are happening to <laughs> me. It's so bizarre because that was just human reality for so long. And now it's like it just doesn't happen anymore. People meet in these artificial and just dehumanizing ways and um and we're all suffering for it because you can't capture the magic of somebody in a list of statistics on their profiles right and and it just it feeds into what you're saying is just getting out there and letting the magic of synchronicity run into people and me 100 percent. we're all if, if if we allow ourselves to see humanity differently to see humanity as i guess like wayne dyer would have said uh you know bless his soul that we are in a body we're spirits living in a body as opposed to a body that has a spirituality right we if we had more sort of support as a culture on listening to internally being able to really listen in the moment to what's hot, like really what's happening with somebody else to read their online dating profile and be able to not check off the points, but to sense, Oh, what that really meant is something deep inside this person that they're showing with their words, but I'm able to sense this is what's really happening. And I could sense what's really happening to that person. It's not going on. It's still going on and it's extremely sad and it leads to us relying on systems that are killing us in small ways and in big ways. I mean, I've given marital therapy for over a decade and to see what's going on, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not a researcher, but I've studied the research, but the research that I've studied and what I've seen anecdotally inside the clients that I've seen, 
Like there's a universe of pain going on inside relationships all over. There is power dynamics that are completely out of alignment with nature. There, the, and, and there is emotional activity. There are people, you know, people who are living together, shut down to each other. People who should feel alive that are not because of the family, the system of their family of origin is they've, they've bought into the identity that the family of origin has given them. It's just across the board that we're not understanding the soul. We're not understanding the soul and living by the soul. And I think Kerouac was so great at wanting to express the innocence of his soul and the kindness of the people that other, the hobos and the, even the cops that would stop, whatever it was, like every character, whether it was a good character or bad, was are there good characters and bad characters in Kerouac books? It's not like that. He just was able to convey in the moment, in spite of the hardness of the moment, in spite of I'm sleeping on the, you know, the first scene of Dharma bums, he's on a, on a train sleeping next to a, a bum. It's, it's a painful thing. Who wants to do that? And yet Kerouac is able to sort of give us this formula into understanding compassion, into understanding sympathy. When he was on the video, the famous video of Kerouac with Steve Allen. Yeah, uh, playing I love that. Movie. I love that. And they the playing the piano and doing the spoken word. And, and reading, reading parts yeah. on the road. He might be reading some other stuff that on the road. I can't remember. But uh, Steve Allen asked him, how do you explain what does the word beat mean? And Kerouac goes sympathy, and like who, like wow, you know, it, you know, you, you, there are other uh, audios of Kerouac talking about listening to the beat, the slave, the slaves on the slave ship rowing to the sound of the beat. That the beat was the rhythm behind jazz, was the rhythm behind his language, and it's the rhythm behind suffering. Is very much the beat was a way of him trying to express that suffering is happening to a beat, to the beat of music, to the beat of the blues. And that was his way of expressing it. And the road gives us that ability to connect to the beat of our own suffering. And the road sort of moves it into sympathy. And it's Man, right. That was, that was beautiful, Michael. That, that, that's, that's going to be a clip that I outtake from this and put out, man. That's, that's, that was really beautiful, man. And I, yeah. I, I I totally um I totally agree with you. Like um yeah, I, like I've made the video talking about how I don't think it's good to glorify Jack's eventual alcoholism and some of the issues that he had. But the, by no means does that change the fact that I think number one, he's one of my favorite authors of all time, period, hands down. And I read a lot of books and have a lot of authors that I love. But also number two, um he had such a I actually don't think he could handle the level of sympathy and empathy that I felt. I think it, it might have contributed to some of his problems because he was just so tuned in to the suffering of the world. And right. um, but it was right. it was uh, it was beautiful that a guy and like the the other thing that's interesting about Jack. I mean, he was a he was a great athlete in high school and stuff. Like he he was a, a manly man, and yet he he was not afraid. To, to look at the heartbreak of the world and to, to put his soul into it, you know? You're hitting really powerful things. You could look at Kerouac's biography that there's a real blending of the masculine and the feminine expressing itself through Jack. And then to your point about his, you know, his awareness of the suffering in the world, it, I think you could argue that once 
the world found out about him, say, with the printing of On the Road, and then when all these other novels that came out, that he wasn't expecting that the suffering was going to wind up attacking him or engulfing him. You know, he's he's the first sort of uh, virtual reality star. In wow, a way, that's a good you know, point, man. That's think about it, right? Point. That Kerouac comes out with this breakthrough novel and then he can't go anywhere. You know, that's kind of what Big Sur was about. You know, Big Sur starts out with him on the train going back to San Francisco, getting in the drink, and then he's got to hide. And Ferlinghetti, I forget the name of Ferlinghetti's character, but gets him, you know, to his house uh, over at Big Sur. And he's sitting with the donkeys and he's sitting with, you know, the, the, the bugs and, and just, you know, just being, and that's what he needed because he couldn't be anywhere and anywhere he could be would just, you know, drink was his way of functioning. So that that's why for writing this next book and seeing it very cinematically, I'm like, how, I mean, you don't, I'm not trying to say, okay, everybody go be a drunk like Kerouac. That's the farthest thing. That, that I want right, right. Sort, of a, to sort of embody him as a resurrected figure, as this like resurrected American figure, you know, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it's like taking the writing, like, don't, you know, don't let the writing associate with the writer, you know, like so many writers and, you know, uh, drunks, Hemingway, whatever. And it's like associated with alcoholism or with addiction, I said, let me take the writing and turn the writing into this idealized figure. And just like, how can we have somebody that embodies the sympathy that we all need? And that's, that's what I'm trying to, I'm like using Jack for that character, but I think he'd, he'd go along with it. I hope. No, dude. I, yeah, I love that, man. And that's, you know, that last video I made, when I made, I had like 30, 30 followers and half of them were like my family. So I didn't think anybody would really watch that video. And um, afterwards I, f- I felt like I don't, I wanted, like I wanted to make clear that I think dangerous when you glorify the negative aspect, Jack's right. alcoholism, but that does not diminish at all that. I think he's one of the most amazing people out there and he is somebody to emulate the the best aspects of his philosophical and empathetic spirituality you know like i i love jack Kerouac, man i love him so um when you you hear the other beats talk about him like do you know the there's the uh video of him on firing line of 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 Kerouac drunk out of his mind on, on oh firing when um, Ed Sanders is on there and Ginsburg is in the audience and he's interviewed by William F Buckley right right and uh, uh, Ginsburg has a video talking about that it's great I don't know if you've seen it but Ginsburg, I have not seen that yeah I'll send it to you but Ginsburg is a is an interview with Ginsburg talking about that interview of Jack Ginsburg was in the audience. Ginsburg was basically Ginsburg was like enabling him, you know, like he, 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 in a way emotionally enabling him, but Ginsburg saw what you're saying. Like Kerouac was drunk, but, but, but he, he saw Kerouac's humanity uh, and what Kerouac was trying to convey uh, through, uh, through the interview. Like there's this moment where, uh, this is the height of the Vietnam War. It's like 68, it's a year before Kerouac dies. And there's a, a, a part of the interview where William F. Buckley is looking uh, to Kerouac for his, uh, you know, what's your opinion about the Vietnam War? Well, it's sort of the question is sort of framed in a way as if it's 
the you know as if the whole hippie movement is against it and you had you know you had the hit you know the, the lead you know the guy what's the name again the um ed sanders ed sanders is there so it's just like framing kerouac and putting him in with the sort of anti-vietnam hippies right and Kerouac didn't really have an opinion on it. Kerouac was like, well, they all want our Jeeps. Right. Yeah. That, that he says that and that, that like twists everybody's mind up. Exactly. When he says, like, it was just like, you know, Buckley just got hit in the head by a Zen, <laughs> a Zen lunatic. Right. I didn't know really what to do with it. And, and so there's a video of, of Ginsburg explaining that Kerouac was just not a fit for that was not a fit for those questions, but really had this whole humanistic, uh, you know, almost humorous uh, attitude to the whole thing. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that's that's really cool. I do want to see that because I, I did feel like Jack kind of showed his ass a little bit, a couple, like in a lot of that, just because he looked rightfully or wrongfully. Um, he just, he looked like a washed up drunk and just- Red face drunk. He was drunk out of his mind. He, he right. didn't, he, he, uh, Ginsburg said that he didn't want to do the interview, but he's just, he was such a good person that he said, I need to do it because I'm, they asked me so compassionate drunk Jack was like, well, I'm going to do it because they want me. So I'll do it. Yeah. That, that's didn't pull any celebrity punches. I'm out of this interview. He didn't do anything. Right. right. No. Yeah. What a, what a great dude. But yeah, man. So we'll get back, back to your work, back to your book. Sure. Man. So this is when you, when you're taking on a new client for psychotherapy, do you, um, is this something like on the front end you say like, this is my style or just something that kind of evolves over the course? I've great question. I've had to learn a lot about that. I realized that what I do is so different. Uh, there's not a framework for it. Uh, so I make it more of a backend thing. So what I do, what the, the, the main tool that I have in giving my coaching is called mirroring. So mirroring is a communication technique that really focuses on active listening. It was developed for couples so that the couples, instead of fighting with each other, they'll slow down. Uh, one person is the sender, the other is the receiver, and the receiver mirrors back exactly what the sender heard. So it sort of is this meditative transformational listening exercise. And when I, when I work with a new client, we're going to start there. We're going to start with them communicating and then I'll, you know, maybe ask them to mirror some things so that they feel what's going on deeply in their, their own feeling states start being more revealed by slowing down the conversation, going into deeper listening, and they're able to access either releasing negative feelings, or once they release negative feelings, they could kind of hear a quiet that gives them uh, a wisdom or a clarity or uh, an acknowledgement or an appreciation that's there through the process of the act of listening. So that's usually when I get a client in the beginning, and then I have this gathering. Every August now, I call it the Sacred Solo Online Retreat. Uh, I'm almost done with the webpage for it. It'll be out by like today or tomorrow. And um, what we do is we take a week. So the clients or other people who want to get online on a Zoom meeting. And uh, so it goes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And through that, we develop a question that helps them sort of focus what their deeper desires are wanting and helps them to sort of clear beyond um the immediacy of whatever negativity or systemic blockages are happening in their life, work, relationship, whatever. And that question becomes the, the blueprint of a journey. And so they go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the, uh, planning it. And then the weekend, everybody goes. So the last time we did this, we had people here in California and we had people in New York but they went all the way up to Oregon, all the way up to, you know, Southern 
California. We had people in New York going to Pennsylvania, people in New York going to upstate New York. Somebody, I think, went to Vermont. And all of them then came back after the weekend. And then we have one more class on Sunday. We call it the graduation class, but that's really like where they share their their experience of their journey. And then one, you know, you know, we had the last one we went, uh, we had a fellow, uh, you know, he, he had loss in his life. He had trauma in his life and he drove from Arcata uh, down to San Jose. So it's like a six hour drive. And he's telling me about, he went as low as he could and he went as high as he could. He went and, and immersed himself in water and then climbed a mountain. And then along the way, he's like, he saw, you know, various rare animals. I can't remember the animals he saw, but he was like telling me all these connections, like one-on-one -on -one connections with animals and nature. It's brought him this deep sense of peace, uh, coming out of this difficult relationship, sort of cleared all that. Uh, we had somebody in New York who um, he'd done numerous solo travels with me. And on that trip, he drove from New York down to Atlantic City, New Jersey. So like a three-hour drive by himself. Also, he wanted to get as high as possible. So he just went in the top of a building mm. and then he went back down and he um, he did like axe throwing <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> right. So it's like these heightened moments. Um, another important teacher of mine, I don't know, you know if you're familiar with him, but Alejandro Jodorowsky, filmmaker and tarot reader from Chile, Actually, well, he's, he's like my main guy. Uh, okay. and he, he, he's created a, a field of study called psychomagic, where what the person is doing is as opposed to doing talk therapy, they're performing acts, the acts that are symbolic and that the subconscious will sort of speak the language of symbolic, like dream mm -hmm. imagery, but they're doing it. So for him, throwing the axe was that sort of like power claiming of power, even just the act of leaving and getting on the road, the, the subconscious is going, you know, what's happening here? We're not used to any of this. You, we're dealing with, with symbols. What do you mean leaving? What do you mean? You know, I had a moment where um, the kids, my kid, this is in 2016. So the kids were in California. I was sort of playing out the rest of New York and preparing myself for a life where I was going to move. Okay. So I take a solo and um, this is a longer story than maybe I want to do. The moment that I knew that me and my beloved ex-wife were going to split happened on Bob Marley's birthday in Jamaica at Bob Marley's like museum on the top of a mountain. I won't get into the details about it, hmm. but that was the moment that I knew we were splitting. Okay. Cut to years later, we were already split and I'm doing a solo where I'm leaving everything behind and I'm headed to my first um, outdoor spiritual festival where I was a teacher, which was like a big thing. So I'm like, I'm going to leave everything behind and I'm going to go. Okay. So what happens? I get on the road and I see um, a license plate and the license plate was two. It just was like a date it said 207. I'm like 207. That's Bob Marley's birthday. Huh. That's right. Like immediately. I think, like, when do you see license plates like that? Whatever. Immediately I get another one. I see that, which takes me back to this whole moment where the whole marriage broke down and all that. Uh huh. Okay. I get on the highway. I see another license plate it said 208. Hmm. No, it just, <laughs> you know, it's like, it just, it can't, it just seems to happen 
that when you combine the leaving, the intentionality, and the movement, that we're in a heightened state. And either we're noticing stuff that's always there in the heightened state, or we're bringing it to us in the heightened state. Like the heightened state is putting us unconsciously into these, this, this, you know, make a turn here, go straight there, go to this place, boom, you're going to meet Michelle Obama or whatever. But it's really all just about saying yes to ourselves and entering a state of movement. And that seems to just attract it all. That, that is so fascinating because there's like uh, people in the, the paranormal research, which I'm not huge into, but I've had periods where I was really fascinated by it. Also overlaps with like shamanic traditions where they oh, yeah. are really into the uh, liminality is what they call it, is these spaces in between spaces, including right. people who are in between times in their life. They're, they tend to have more paranormal or spiritual experiences. And um, it just, it overlaps exactly with what you just said, which is you get yourself out there, you break yourself out of the usual routine, put yourself in this liminal motion and life comes at you in a different way than it does when you are. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I, I, I'm, I'm hardly an expert in the paranormal. Okay. I've had lots of experiences in deeply spiritual environments mostly environments where there's like training and learning mm. in martial arts in Jewish spirituality in Zen Buddhism, but I haven't been in anything. I haven't had training in like past life type stuff. I hadn't had training in any of that, but I am absolutely a believer that we're always interacting with the non-physical, the physical and non-physical are always blending and interacting interacting. In, in so many of my journeys, it just was so apparent that that was going on. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable and because of what would manifest. There's a moment in the book, I'm 18. I, I, my father is this mentally ill man and I just can't handle him. I had come out of this terrible psychotherapist for three years that had totally re-traumatized me. And I'm alone wandering all over Europe. I don't know, like, what am I doing? I'm terribly scared, but I kind of figured it out. By week three, I wound up standing next to Greg Lamond, the the cyclist who won the Tour de France that year. He won it in the, it was the greatest comeback ever in Tour de France history. And here I am, I found the Tour de France. It boom, boom, boom. Everybody goes right past you on their bikes. And I'm like, wow, that was great, but I want more. And I walked down. And the next thing you know, I'm standing next to Greg LeMond being interviewed on French television in French. And that I'm like, who's Waldo? Like, <laughs> it's like, how do you create a memory like that? It's unbelievable to have that happen. Yeah, that is really weird, man. That is cool. That, I'm interested with your with your Jewish tradition. Do you um do you study Kabbalah at all or? Yeah, I had okay. So I lived in Israel for a year. Talk about solo journey. That, I just have to say real quick. That's my number one bucket list destination. I really oh, want to go to Israel. It, it 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 is here. Here's Israel in a nutshell, right here. Okay, I leave the the old city. I was living in the old city of Jerusalem which is amazing and trippy and ancient and, you know, all of it. And I'm getting on a bus to go to downtown Jerusalem, which is like happy and hectic and merchants and food and music and all this stuff. Okay. Uh, a real, m- more secular than the, the, uh, the old city is really religious and the, the new city is much more secular. All right. Mm-hmm. I get on a bus. I'm sitting on the back of the bus. I have to the right of me, 
a, you know, just like this serious Orthodox Jewish man with the curls and the beard, wearing all black, just this figure, right? And on the other side of me is this Arab man, probably a Bedouin wearing a keffiyeh with the, you know, the round rope and, 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 you know, the, the, the sort of drapery around his neck and wearing these robes and he had a cane. And I'm sitting like, you know, here's like the 2000 year war that I'm like sort of sitting next to. And the driver, the Israeli driver puts on Johnny Cash. What? No way. This is Israel. This is what it is. So I'm sitting here in the middle of this like biblical moment listening to <laughs> With Johnny down, Cash going down in a burning ring of fire. <laughs> Just totally trippy. It is like everything in Israel is hyper condensed, hyper intense, political, uh, confusing, uh, sexy, alive. Uh, everything in every moment with humor everywhere dark you know just dark intense humor and in uh, suffering everywhere you know like yeah where were there bombs where I, all the time i mean not as much now as when i was in the 90s it was a pretty heightened time um but i was never scared hmm. i was never scared it just you just it just is hot it's the whole place is hot and amazing and alive and active and mysterious and crazy. Man, that's, <laughs> that sounds like exactly what I want to see. Like I really, I couldn't believe um, the Garden of Gethsemane is a place you can actually go to. I, I had no idea you can actually. But yeah, I mean, no doubt, you know. And there's there's so many there's so many places in the Christian tradition that you could just get right to. Just that, that, that's amazing, man. I, 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 by the way, I asked you about Kabbalah because I love, I love Kabbalah. I studied, I actually just got the Zohar, man, which is the, the biggest single book I've ever purchased in my entire oh, life. Right? It is like massive. You know, they talk from the Jewish tradition. I, I was, I spent six weeks at an Orthodox yeshiva. So I was at a men's yeshiva. I was 26. And that is, you know, a very, very intense place of Jewish study, where you're mostly the core curriculum is the Talmud, meaning the Talmud is the, uh, so the, the Torah is like the five books of Moses, which would be like the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then the Talmud is the oral law, meaning that the, the, the legal, uh, the 613 laws of mitzvahs of doing good deeds in Judaism from a Jewish context are then explained in the Talmud hmm. and argued over in the Talmud of like the first century BC rabbi against the fifth century AD rabbi says, you know, keeping the Sabbath means this. And the other rabbi says, keeping the Sabbath means that. And so then you have these hundreds of, you know, mostly rabbinical students, uh, which I was not, that are all in this hall studying, cracking their heads open over these legal spiritual documents. Um, the Kabbalah, from that perspective, the Kabbalah is seen as this higher level version of understanding Jewish life and Jewish mm. law that you're theoretically not supposed to study until 20 years in of studying Talmud. Mm. Uh, but that's not from the perspective, you know, anybody can study, Madonna can study uh, Kabbalah uh, but you know, from that perspective, they're like, uh, uh, not, not till you're ready, you know, right. young Taiwan kind of thing. Right. No, I, I actually love that though, about the, like, yeah. the Jewish tradition. I, I love how seriously they take it. I mean, it's, I think it's amazing. It's, it's a, it's a, 
in the modern world for people to still take it that seriously is to me a, an amazing and beautiful thing. And I, I love it, man. I, I love, I love Jewish culture. I love Jewish religion. I just, uh, yeah, I just love it's it. Great. Man. The, the, <laughs> the third chapter of the old Testament from, from the perspective of, of Judaism of the Torah is named Lech Lecha. So the third portion is the introduction of Abraham. So it's basically like Adam and Eve, then no, then Noah, and then Abraham. But the title of his introductory chapter is Lech Lecha. And that means like, go, go to yourself. So what that is representing is Abraham being told by God, like, don't believe in false idols and leave this place where you were born and go where I'll take you. Go. I'm going to send you to the land of Israel. Okay. But that concept of Lech Lecha, go, go to yourself. That's exactly what I'm trying to teach people. Oh, shit. It is, man. It's yeah. Totally that's so like, cool. Go, go, go and find yourself out there. Yeah. So. I am absolutely drawing on all of the, you know, Kerouac, but so many, certainly Zen and Taoist um, type learnings, but all kinds of stuff in Judaism that I'm trying to interweave into the whole thing. Judaism is like the best uh, personal development program there is around. Really, there's so much about Judaism is about your personal character, you know, like doing these laws and good deeds but to sort of find your own personal character inside the going of the, of the actions no yeah i could see that man i i actually i follow rabbis on youtube and uh the the wisdom that they share is just it's amazing man it's amazing but a lot so of deep spilled over now i'm sorry i kept you uh longer this is wonderful all right all right cool man cool. oh this is fantastic so I'll just tell your listeners that if they if they're interested, they can get uh, the Zen of Solo Travel book. Just go to the Zen of Solo Travel dot com. Oh, it'll, I'll, I'll, it'll be in the description below the the perfect video. Perfect. Yeah, and then all the other stuff is going on. But if they go to michaeljasonsherman.com, I have to update the web website. But uh, all the, you know, the coaching and workshops and retreats is all going to be up on there. So in addition to the book that you've been working on for three and a half years, do you have any other projects that you might be dropping other uh, other than the travel? The, the, the whole thing, I have, I have coaching clients and then I give these retreats in February, online retreats in February and in August. So the August one is for solos and that's coming up. And then I'm going to just get back to the YouTube channel so I'm able to convey what the work is about in, in my videos and working on the new book and, and getting it out and moving it forward is pretty much it. That's awesome, man. Michael, seriously, man, I think I think what you're doing is so cool, man. And, I appreciate um, that very much. And I love this conversation, man. I, I, hopefully we can talk again in the future. Absolutely. I, 